Many people have asked the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Have you ever been hurt or offended with God? Or maybe you've decided to release forgiveness to someone who has hurt you, but deep within you're a little bit miffed with God because you think he could have done something about this, but he didn't. Get your Bible and let's talk about it. with me, if you will, to the book of Ruth. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible, so it's close to the front, and it's not very long, so you may have to look for it just a minute. But it's the story of a woman named Ruth. She was a Moabite. Uh, a Moabite tells us that she was from the country of Moab. She was not an Israelite, not a Jew, and so Moab was a nation that was cursed by God. And God had cursed Moab because it was a nation of idolatry. They didn't like God. They were offended with God, and they had rejected the true and living God. It was an enemy of Israel. So the whole country of Moab was hostile to God and to the people of God. The book of Ruth is set historically in the dark years of the judges. And so I want to begin by reading the first chapter of the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter one. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. That would have been a famine in the land of Israel. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. They were Jews. Now they entered the land of Moab, an idolatrous country, and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there for about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman, Naomi, was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. In other words, the famine in Israel was over. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband, another husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? 
Have I yet sons in my womb that they might be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and bear a son, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Notice that phrase. The hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, Ruth. But Ruth clung to her. And Ruth said, behold, I'm sorry, Naomi said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death departs you and me. In other words, Ruth said to Naomi, I ain't going. I'm going with you. So when Ruth saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all of the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is that Naomi? And she came to them and said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For, watch it, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi or Pleasant? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The record begins with a famine in Israel. We are introduced to three women who have been through deep hurt, very deep hurt. And Naomi and her husband had experienced famine in their homeland of Israel, so they moved to Moab this land of enemies with God, with their two sons. Well, Naomi's husband died. Her two sons married Moabite women. And then about two years later, her sons died. Naomi heard that there was food in Israel once again. So she decided to return to her homeland. So she encouraged her two daughters-in-law to just stay in Moab. Orpah and Ruth just stay here. And Orpah finally agreed to return and to, to stay in Moab. But Ruth just clung to Naomi. And she said, no, I'm staying with you. Key factor. I want my God, your God to be my God. I want Jehovah God, the God of Israel to be my God. So Ruth and Naomi made their way to Bethlehem. Now, two widows coming back to a society where widows were often ignored was a challenge, especially if you were a widow from Moab, as was Ruth. 
So everyone in Bethlehem had known Naomi. But when they saw her, they weren't sure if it was really Naomi. Did you ever do that? Did you ever see somebody maybe in a store in a crowd and you think, well, is that so-and-so? Maybe they look like somebody. Maybe you're afraid they, they look alike or, or maybe they've changed that much. Well, that was the reaction of these women when they saw Naomi. Now, the, Naomi, the, the name Naomi means sweet or pleasant. So assuming she was Naomi, these women of Bethlehem, probably all of her old friends were calling out, pleasant, pleasant, sweet. And Naomi said, don't you call me that. Don't ever call me that again. Do not call me sweet and pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. In other words, gals, things have changed since I was here before. So her friends hardly recognized her because of her bitterness. Now, did she have physical signs of bitterness? Maybe was she negative and caustic and just cynical? Did she keep a record of wrongs? Uh, was she always focused on what wrongs other people were doing? We don't know. More than likely, at a distance, the bitterness had affected her physical appearance. Bitterness is an atmosphere that is within us. It just hangs around there. Naomi was bitter, and she said so. She said, don't call me sweet and pleasant. Call me bitter. What did she do? How was she thinking? Well, look with me there in verse 13 of Ruth chapter 1. See what she said? The, the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. God did it. Verse 20, do not call me Naomi for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. God did this. Look at verse 21. The Lord has witnessed against, has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. What's she doing? She's blaming God. God did this to me. She looked over the circumstances of her life and she concluded that God was at fault. She basically said, God did all this. God did all of this to me. Have you ever been angry or hurt with God? Maybe you have decided to take steps of forgiveness towards someone who's hurt you, but you, you just feel a little bit miffed with God because you think, well, he could have stopped it. And that just kind of hangs around in your heart. You know, we all have probably asked the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, let's talk about it for just a little bit. Although we often don't see it at first, all of our bitterness is ultimately toward God. Sometimes, when we search our hearts, it may be too painful to admit. But let me say again, we've all in some way dealt with that question, why does God allow bad things? How could God stand to let this happen to me? Or is God paying attention? Where is he? Does he see this? Is he aware of it? We all seem to know intuitively that God's power is great enough to deal with our hurts if he 
wanted to. How do I practically deal with the pain and the disappointment in my life? A few months ago, I had the awesome privilege of having lunch with Kay Arthur at the home of Jan Sylvia's. It was quite an experience. I don't know if you know these ladies. Kay Arthur is the co-founder of Precept Ministries in Chattanooga, and for over 50 years, she and her husband, Jack Arthur, began equipping small groups into how to study the Bible for themselves, teaching inductive Bible study. They want always to help people themselves understand the truths of Scripture. And they have affected with those studies, the Lord has used it to affect the whole world. There are precept studies in every country in the world, except for maybe one or two. Well, she has had an immeasurable immeasurable impact on my life and on the lives of so many people in the world. And if I were going to list the top women that I admire more than anybody else, Kay Arthur would be very, very close to the top, uh, if not probably the top. Jan Silvius was affected, influenced by Kay Arthur. They worked together for a long time, and, and Jan is a Christian counselor. She's a life coach, a Bible teacher. She's in demand on Moody Radio and in a lot of different places, but she's written a number of books, including Please Don't Say You Need Me. It's a book about codependency. Uh, she wrote another one called Big Girls Don't Whine, and then probably the bestseller is Foolproofing Your Life. So God has used her in an incredible way, and I am so grateful to call her my friend. So we had lunch, and after lunch, we were sitting there visiting, and I asked Jan and Kay to talk about bitterness and unforgiveness. And I said, you know, sometimes after you've decided to forgive somebody, the hurt is still there, the memory is still there. Um, how do you let it rest what do you do with it? Where's the end of it? And without blinking or even taking the time to take a breath, K. Arthur said, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. I've thought about that a lot. What is the sovereignty of God? When we say that God is sovereign, we're saying that he is the ultimate source of all power and authority and everything that exists. He is the power behind everything. And so basically what it means is that God is in control. You might write that down. God is in control. Nothing happens in the universe, the universe and universes, that God's influence and authority does not reside over. So he has no limitations. He is God. Well, once you know he is sovereign Lord, You've got to wrap your mind around his other attributes, his character, because there's no question that God is sovereign. And there are a lot of people today who want to talk to you about God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Yes, he is. But sovereign is not all he is. He is also loving, merciful, kind. He is just I love the word loving kindness. We may just have to do a lesson on that one day. It's the Old Testament word, hesed. It is 
a covenant word that is almost beyond description because of God's commitment to us, his love to us. But also in all of that, he is a God of wrath. So God has many, many attributes. He is infinite. He is immutable, unchangeable. He is self-sufficient. He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He is omnipresent, which means there is no place where he is not. He is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. He is wise and faithful and good and glorious. So all of this calls me to search deeply in my own heart to ask this question. What do I really believe about God? What do I really believe about God? Who is he really? What is he really like? Well, sure, I can say that I believe that God is loving and good and kind and merciful, but do I really believe that? in my pain. I have to confront that in my own heart, in my hurt. Now I want you to turn with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to read verses 14 through 21. Joseph is one of the greatest examples that God has given to us in the Bible for a lesson on forgiveness. And, um, We don't have time to spend on it today, but read this with me. Beginning in Genesis 50, verse 14. And after he had buried his father, this would be Joseph burying his father, Jacob. Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father in Canaan in Israel. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us? And what if he pays us back for all of the wrong we've done to him? Ooh. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father, before he died, charged saying, Thus shall you say to Joseph, Did he really? I don't know. Thus shall you say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your servants. Now remember that Joseph had become a ruler in Egypt. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? This is God's business? And as for you... Get this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Oh my goodness, what a story. Joseph is one of the greatest examples of forgiveness in the Bible. Joseph experienced so many unfair things, abuse and bullying. His brothers sold him into slavery, which is how he wound up in Egypt. And he hadn't really done anything to deserve any of that. They were jealous of him. So Joseph found strength to persevere in the midst of his suffering because he understood that the pain he endured might have been intended for evil by Satan, but it was allowed by God for good. Joseph knew 
And this is what we need to know, that God had a bigger picture. When I believe that God is in control and he is good, then I can trust him in my pain. If I just believe he's in control, I may have a hard time trusting him. So what are all of his attributes? He is in control, but he is good and he is kind and he is out for good for all of us. So here's what it looks like. Jesus taught that offenses will come. We all have hurts and regrets and wounds and we live in a sinful world. We're a sinful people and we encounter sinful people every day. So an offense or a hurt is an opportunity because there is a choice to be made. I have two choices when I'm hurt. I can choose to trust God with the hurt or I can choose to handle it my way and hold a grudge or punish or show vengeance. Naomi was bitter. Her life circumstances contributed to it, but listen to me, her circumstances did not cause her bitterness. She focused on her life circumstances and blamed God. Write this down. Being offended is inevitable. Living offended is a choice. Being offended is inevitable. Living offended is a choice. Now, Ruth had endured a lot herself, but Ruth redirected her focus. She took her focus off herself and she started investing her life in a different place. If you look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, what'd she say? Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. What did Ruth do? She totally changed perspectives and started focusing her life, not just on Naomi, but on Naomi's people, her God. And so there was the same opportunity for both of them to trust God, but Naomi allowed her pain to define her so that she was willing to call herself bitter. So we have a choice. We can hold an unhealthy attachment to the past and let it label us or define us, or we can trust God to write the situation according to his higher and broader perspective. Now, what did God have in mind with Joseph? Oh my goodness, what a whole long lesson this would be. But what was God's long-term purpose that was in view when he allowed Joseph to be sold into Egypt? Well, looking ahead, and we know the end of the story because we can read the book. We can read the book of Genesis and Exodus and see what happened. But God had the 12 tribes of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt in mind. He had the parting of the Red Sea in mind. But you know what else he had in mind? He had the blueprint of the blood of Christ at Calvary in mind when he established Passover. And when he said, look, the death angel is going to travel across this community. And when he does, all firstborn are going to die unless you put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. Mark your house, mark your family, and when that happens, as the death angel part goes over the house, then you will be safe. And they were. So what's he doing? He's giving the blueprint for Calvary, for Jesus. So 
All of that and much more was born out of Joseph's pain. Well, with Ruth, God had her marriage to Boaz in view. Ruth and Boaz became the great-great-grandparents of King David. Well, Ruth is listed in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth, a Moabitess. What changed her? She changed God's. She put her faith in Naomi's God. And it changed everything. The right question to ask is not, God, why are you letting this happen to me? The right question is, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? What am I supposed to learn here? What is it that you want to accomplish through this circumstance that you have allowed in my life? And then I choose whether or not I'm going to trust him. We can choose to trust that everything he allows, because he's sovereign and because he is good and loving and kind and merciful. So we can choose to trust that everything he allows in our lives has a purpose that is for our good and his glory. Here's some questions I have to answer in my own heart. Do I really believe that God is sovereign? Do I really believe that God is in control of all things? Do I really believe that God is good and loving? Am I convinced of that? Is that resting in my heart when I think of God? Do I think, oh, how good and loving he is, how kind he is, how merciful he is? Do I believe that God is always paying attention? I think for all of us, there are those moments in time when we think, are you, do you see this? Are you paying attention? He always is. Even when we don't know it, don't see it, don't experience it in that moment. But here's another one. Do I believe, really believe, that God's word is absolute truth with no error? And we're not talking about translations having errors. We're talking about God's word out of his mouth being absolute truth. Do I believe that? Well, if I do, then I need to think about Romans 8.28. Do you know that verse? We usually say all things work together for good to those who are called of God, called according to love God and call according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Well, that doesn't just happen on its own, because I've already said God is sovereign, right? So what it literally says, literally translated, it says God works all things together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So God, he uses the circumstances in our lives to grow us. He will use that. Write this one down. God, well, let me tell you this first. God hates what happens that hurts us. God hates it when we are abused or mistreated or when we're sold into slavery, when horrible things happen to us. God hates it. But write this down. God allows what he hates to grow that which he loves. God allows what he hates to grow that 
which he loves. What does he love? He loves you. He loves good things for you. He loves good things in your life. You know, if I am in Christ Jesus, this is me, this is Christ Jesus. If I am in Christ Jesus, anything that gets to me has to go through him, has to get to him first. We can't always see it, but God is always at work for our good and his glory. Charlotte Elliott was a bitter woman and her health was broken and disability had hardened her and she was known for violent outbursts. And the Lord used a Swiss minister to visit her one day. And one of the questions he asked her was, are you tired of yourself? Aren't you tired of all of this? Aren't you tired of yourself? Aren't you tired of being entrapped in this? And the Lord did a work in her heart. And she wrote these words. Oh, what a great hymn that almost everybody in Christendom or exposed to Christendom knows. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without. Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Just as, just, just as I am, thou wilt receive. Wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Go back to Naomi and we close. Boaz and Ruth married. They had a son named Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. And the end of the book of Ruth ends with Naomi holding her grandson. There's opportunity for turnaround. God is waiting for you. God bless you.